0: Hey, Girlboss Radio listeners, a quick note before we get into today's show. We have an amazing guest today, Christina Stemble, founder of Farm Girl Flowers. You'll hear her full introduction shortly, but before I get to that, I wanted to note that we recorded this episode prior to the pandemic, and since then, the world, including Christina's business, look very, very different. Farm Girl Flowers is based in San Francisco, and the city is currently instituting a shelter-in-place order. They've had to shut down their San Francisco distribution for the time being. Their team members are their primary concern in the wake of this closure. Christina wanted to share the following message with our listeners today. I'd humbly ask for you to support our team, our company, and our farms with a flower order. While there's not a lot of certainty that we can offer to our team of over 200 individuals and our many farm partners right now, I'm hoping that at least we can offer them the certainty of a good job and a healthy company to return to. But we can't do it without all of you. Though their San Francisco facility is closed, Farm Girl Flowers is still shipping gorgeous flowers from its South American facility. So if you want or need flowers right now, as I know I do, to brighten up your day or someone else's, please check them out. For more, go to farmgirlflowers.com. That said, please do all you can to support any other female-led businesses, big or small, that you adore. So without further ado, let's get to the show. Hey guys, it's Sophia, founder and CEO of Girl Boss and host of Girl Boss Radio. You're listening to Girl Boss Radio, and we have a very special guest on today's episode Christina Stemble, founder and CEO of Farm Girl Flowers. Sending flowers can communicate so much from I'm sorry to I love you. And I don't think anyone's ever been disappointed to see a beautiful bouquet show up at their front door, certainly not me. (laughs) And if you're wondering why I have flowers on the brain, it's because today's conversation is with Christina Stemble, founder and CEO of Farm Girl Flowers. In case you don't know Christina's story yet, here's what you need to know. With only a high school degree, Christina taught herself how to launch her online floral business that now generates $33 million a year and employs over 200 people. She's also bootstrapped her company entirely from her savings, which we'll learn more about shortly. So stay tuned for my chat with Christina, where we talk about the benefits and drawbacks of self-funding your business, how to combat the loneliness that comes with being a solo entrepreneur, and what it really takes to cultivate positive company culture as your business blooms. Okay, let's get to it. Here's our conversation. Christina, welcome to Girl Boss Radio. Uh,
1: Thanks for having me, I'm so excited to be here.
0: so nice to have you here. I'm so impressed by everything that you've done and I wanna get into that. Um, You're down from San Francisco today? Yeah. So,
1: we all have a start. I had a crappy first job. What was your first job? You know, I don't really remember what exactly was like my first legal job. There's probably lots of classifications, but I think it was probably corn detasseling because I grew up on a farm in Indiana. When I was 14, you could legally corn to tassel. But I like babysat before that. And I worked on the farm before that, you know, for my allowance, which is kind of a job. What were the early allowance jobs? Like were you like picking potatoes? Corn. (laughs) Corn. (laughs) And green beans, lots of green beans. And, you know, canning and freezing all the vegetables and fruits from our orchard and gardens and all that all year we would eat. So it was a commercial
0: farm. You grew up on a commercial
1: farm. Yes.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. I wonder how many people who grew up on commercial farms grew up to do what you have
1: not many probably probably not yeah
0: um well probably zero and we'll get into that <laughs> and you grew up in a pretty conservative family very conservative was there an expectation that you would stick around stay you know rule a roost <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah there was definitely an expectation that I would get married to a nice boy from church and settle down and have the you know three or four kids in that little tiny town of about 3,600 people wow that's really small yeah Man, how Was that difficult for you? It sounds like you didn't go to college, but you did end up working at a college. Yeah, that's really ironic, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. cool. You get
0: to kind of like absorb the
1: smart stuff yes. when you, you get out the on... classes and things like I that. I know. Yeah. So you were at Stanford. Yes, yeah. Um, I didn't go to college for kind of an unusual reason for people that are out this way. Um, when I tell people, they look at me like with this look of disbelief in their eyes usually. So I'm gonna see if you do it. Um, so where I grew up, girls- did not have the same opportunities as boys. And this was only in the 90s. So it wasn't like, I'm not talking like 1950s. I'm not like that old. Yeah. Um, It was just, you know, my brother was the one that my parents saved for college, my younger brother, and my sister and I were just supposed to get married and have kids. And that was like the expectation. And the one conversation we had about college, my parents, you know, literally said to us, like, well, you're just going to get married and have children. Like, there's no point to pay for a college education for that, Mm. to meet someone, you know? So I was like, but there's more. We want you to stay dumb, too. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So and there kind of was that because I actually got kicked out of church my junior year of high school. Yeah. For um, asking too many questions about subordination and things like that. And question
0: even asking questions or is insubordination, yeah. isn't it yeah
1: i never really i never fit at all there so um two weeks after i graduated high school i moved to new york city from there i got an apartment from the classified ads and um i ran. weirdly it was legit and i sent a cashier's check and It wasn't a scam that was amazing and moved to New York and then ended up in California several years later. What did you do in New York? Um, I thought I wanted to be an actress. So I went to an acting school um, part time as long as I could afford to, which was only a few months and then just worked a bunch of jobs. For those
0: of us listening who might want to be an actress and don't know whether or not we should continue being actresses, because it's really hard in all of Los Angeles Yes. Is yeah. or wants to be an actress, or you're thinking about moving to LA or New York to be an actor? Why did you decide that wasn't for you?
1: Um, well, it's funny because the reason I chose to go to New York instead of LA, I wanted to go to LA, but I wrecked my car my senior year of high school. And I'm like, well, I don't have a car now, so I need to go to New York because I don't have <laughs> <That's> transportation. <amazing. laughs> so literally, that's how I made the decision and to go there instead. Um, I would say for those wanting to be an actress, uh, it's really hard. So the thing that dissuaded me from doing that long term was when I saw how many like you know 50 year old women there were that were beautiful and seemed really talented that were teaching my classes that had never made it. So I was like, what do I have that they don't have? You know, not much. Well,
0: obviously a lot,
1: but (laughs) just something different. Yeah.
0: So your parents were like, yo, we didn't save for you. Can you, can you go find a dude and get married? And well, that's success, right? We're always talking about this concept of success here on Girl Boss Radio. And you found your own way. Were they dissatisfied? Was there a time where you would to tell them like, hey, I'm not doing this? And what would your advice be for someone who is in a similar circumstance? Because that does happen, especially in religious families.
1: Yeah, I think if I needed, if I relied on their approval for me to feel successful, I never would have left. Right. So I think I was very lucky and I do think this is luck and I have a weird thing with that word luck um but it was just lucky that I didn't seek outside approval from other people I also was that kid that everybody made fun of in high school like everyone and so I think that I was really fortunate that happened because it made me learn very early that if I needed other people's approval it was not going to happen cuz you <laughs> so, just don't get it <laughs> yeah exactly so it kind of like also transitioned to my parents and I was like you know I love them and you know we we have a close relationship now but i also knew i don't want this so you know and they thankfully were those parents that weren't so controlling that they basically were like let her go if she like she's not going to be happy here let her go and she's going to be a shit wife yeah exactly <laughs> she's going to be divorced four times by the time she's 25 i mean you know so yeah let her go and so they did they let me go and it was great
0: And so you went to flowers at some point. How did that happen?
1: Yeah, very long, long trajectory to get there. Um, It wasn't because I loved flowers. I mean, we, we grew some flowers, but it was mainly for like, you know, to keep certain insects away from the crops that we would eat. So, but it was never like we like, loved flowers on this farm most people want to hear the story that like I grew up frolicking on my grandmother's garden or things like that and I think that that's a story we tell women like if you start a company especially one in a creative space it must be your passion and you have to transition that passion like you're like you're so lucky you made your dream into reality by doing what you love and I was like what I loved was I want I wanted to start a business and I wanted to be big I want to be able to grow it big. And so I do get to do what I love. But I also just like to be really clear because as women, we shouldn't pigeonhole us into being like, you have to like, your hobby has to turn into your career. Yeah. You know, I just wanted to start a business. And when I came up with the idea for Farm Girl, it was the first idea I had that ticked like all the boxes. It was very like. Um, intentional about the type of business I wanted to start. I wanted it to be able to grow big. So I wanted the total available market to be a large enough number that if I could only get a couple percent of it, that was still a really big number, like hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, Um, I wanted it to actually disrupt a space. And so when I started researching the floral space, I found that the most recent innovation was many years ago. It was mid-90s. And what that disruption was was you know outsourcing everything to south america and not having people make bouquets anymore except for bouquet makers nobody doing it in-house um so i thought you know this one I could do this better and differently. And um, I knew it would need to be bootstrapped. So a lot of my ideas that I had, and I had crazy ideas. I'd like iron on pockets for your suits or, you know, a web set of tools for event planners. Like every week I would turn my like girls night, I would have Monday night girls night with my best friends. And I'd be like, hey guys, what do you think about iron on pockets? Here, I made some like samples, go take these and test them. Everything was like a focus group or, you know, they're like, oh my gosh, just start a company already and stop you know, doing this. So
0: where did you get this drive or inspiration? Did you... Real, I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars. Most people don't start a business or throw around the idea of iron on pocket saying like, you know, go through a list of things that could be worth hundreds of millions of dollars. So many of us are accidental entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and it doesn't sound like that was the case for you. Where did you learn that this was even remotely possible?
1: I think I've always believed in myself. And so whatever I put, like if I want to move to New York, I'm going to move to New York. You know, like when people are like, feel stuck I never have understood that because I'm like we're not trees we can change anything right I mean we can if you don't like where you live go move you know like so when people just complain over and over again I'm just like I don't understand that so I think that was the starting point was just I was like if this is what I want to do I'm gonna do it you know but I also think the reason I wasn't an accidental entrepreneur was be was a lack of resources honestly because it took me 10 years of thinking of ideas and in that 10 years I grew up a lot and I researched a lot and I read a lot of books and so I educated myself just by being probably a little bit of fear of like not wanting to give up my nice cushy paycheck from Stanford you know and um, that time gave me enough time to like research enough to say like oh I don't even know what a total available market is when I started. And then I'm like, oh, this is when it, you know, 10 years later. So if I had started a company when I first started coming up with ideas, I would have been, you know, 22 or 23 years old. But instead I started it at 32 years old, which gave me 10 years of, of learning.
0: And so you said total addressable market, T-A-M. Yeah. And that's something that I don't know. Not everybody who's listening probably knows what that means. What's a total addressable market?
1: Yeah, so it's the amount, uh, total amount that you can achieve within that market. So like if I was going to do Iron on Pockets, let's say, Pockets.com, you know, was the actual name. Um, You know, How many people would be, you know, customers, potential customers, and then how many competitors are in the space, and how much market share can I really achieve, and realistically, the other thing I hear, I hear people all the time be like, oh, I'm going to, I only need to get 25% of the market. I'm like, (laughs) you know, it's already a very saturated market. Like, a lot. Let's say like, yeah, somebody going into the travel space, online travel space, I'm like, you're never going to be able, you need to have a very realistic, like, if you can get 1% or 2% of a market, how big is that number? And so for for Flowers, you know, there were four people, four companies, I should say, in the space that were doing close to a billion dollars each or more than a billion each. And those were the ones that made up three quarters of the entire space. So it wasn't overly saturated and it was very large numbers they were doing and I didn't think what they were doing was particularly done well. So that's why I was like, I can do it better and it's a huge market that I could take even a tiny market share from those four, four companies would be a big number.
0: So you mentioned bootstrapping. Yeah, I think we all kind of I don't know if we don't know what bootstrapping is, it means it's just like you just don't get investors and you don't you just like build the business right. That's what I did to yeah. thirty million dollars. Yeah, uh, at Nasty Gal, and you just like take a few bucks and you sell something, and then you like don't spend it all and you buy another thing and you sell it for more than you bought it for, and then yeah. that's business, right? Don't spend all your money and sell things for more than you buy them for. That's all I understood. Yeah. And it's a pretty good philosophy.
1: I actually honestly. think it's the best philosophy. And we've gotten really far from that now and yeah. thinking like, even, you know, some investors will say that I'm not taking big enough risks because we're profitable. And I'm like, but how would I pay my payroll if we weren't profitable? You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't understand. So it kind of an is an old school, old fashioned way of thinking about it. Like, don't spend more than you make. Well, it's sustainable. Yeah, it's very sustainable yeah, and healthy. You're taking plenty of risks. Hiring anybody is a risk. <laughs> totally. Um, why was that important to you? the bootstrapping yeah um i knew it was just realistic actually. I was, I knew that I would never be able to go down to Sand Hill Road near where I live and be like, Hey, invest in me with no college degree, with no, like I didn't work. I had no tech pedigree, which if I'd, you know, no college degree, but I was like an engineer at Facebook, I'd have no problem, you know, but given that I worked in hospitality and a million odd jobs and, you know, coffee shops and things, nobody was going to say like, Oh, I really believe in this, this chick. I'm going to go invest tons of money into what she's trying to sell us. Um, so I knew I would need to, Prove out the concept first. I had no idea, though, that you know we're on our tenth year. November will be our ten-year anniversary. We still haven't been able to get funding, so it's been crazy to me to be like, you know, every time I've gone out to try to raise capital, you know, I've gotten 104 nos. We've got three yeses, but they were horrible terms. so just had to keep bootstrapping so interesting
0: uh because yeah. i would imagine they'd be chasing you and they probably are but then they're like we don't know enough for i mean it's a pretty unique space There's not a lot of investments happening in yeah. your space because there are so few players right
1: yeah and the ones that are happening are all male mm-hmm. owners too i'm the only large scale e-commerce flower company like owner yeah. out there yeah. and so you know it's it's a known fact now that less than 3% of capital goes to women.
0: So you bootstrapped from less than $50,000 in personal savings. And we haven't even, I haven't even like really said this. You have a team of 190 people
1: right now. Yeah, 190 in San Francisco. And then we have uh, a little over over 30 people in Ecuador.
0: And then revenue over $30 million?
1: Yeah, we did 32.7 last year and we're on track to do between 45 and 50 this year. Wow.
0: Okay. You're supposed to talk about what happens. So like basically you're doing 47 in revenue this year because that's how everyone like plays pretend. Yeah. So what was your original intention with Farmgirl Flowers and what does differentiate you from these other big players?
1: Yeah. My intention was to build a company that I would want to buy from, sell to, and work at. So that was like my number one, no matter what industry I went into, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to build a really good company. It's really good. Like I knew if I would built that no matter what industry I was in, I would build a good company, you know, kind of like the golden rule for business, I thought. It is. Yeah. So, um, and it pertains to anything. And so in flowers, what that meant was, you know, I wanted to be able to build a company that had good jobs. And in the floral space, there's not a lot that do. A lot of them lay off employees during the summer months. um, When it gets slower, there's not benefits, there's no retirement plans or vacation policies or things like that. And so we have all of that at Farm Girl. Um, And uh, as far as like Sell, you know, sell 2, you know, we're known as the flower company that pays its bills on time. We don't ask for long, you know, uh, amounts of of credit time, you know, and things like that. We pay our bills on time because a lot of the farms we work with are small family farms. They need to pay their workers. And then uh, Buy From, I just wanted to be able to provide the best product and the best customer experience. And Really, I've fallen back to that one thing so many times because when all of these strikingly similar companies started popping up after us, I got scared, like really scared that we were going to be out of business. And at that time we were like, you know, 20 or 30 team members. And that's a huge responsibility like they're not gonna be able to pay their bills and their rent in San Francisco, which is so high because of me. And I got really scared and I made some decisions that weren't great out of fear, which is always the way you do it. Right. And, um, you know, what I came back to is like, hey, if I can just make sure that that our company is providing the best product and the best customer experience, then we're okay. You know, and we have been. Some of those companies have gone out of business since then, and we're still around, and we're still growing at fifty to seventy percent year over year, um, bootstrapped still. Uh, So, you know, I think if I can just keep that like those blinders on, and a, a newer thing that I've even come up with is, you know, instead of being scared of those strikingly similar companies, I try to celebrate them, which is hard sometimes, but I try to celebrate them because if they're all trying to make their companies look like ours then that means we're the best, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And so the second that they're not, then there's somebody else that's better than us out there. And then I should be worried. And you have to keep evolving. I mean, I just from my perspective, people, there was a lot of people who copied Nasty
0: Gal. And I was like, our brand's the strongest. We're going to ride on our brand. And it's like, I think eventually we were competing on price and delivery and all of the really like unbrandy stuff. Even if our product was better, it was like at a certain point people like care about value and they just want overnight shipping and they want 50,000 SKUs from AM, uh, from, from ASOS right yeah. and like ASOS is going to win on like breadth and speed and price
1: and it's, it can be hard to compete there but yeah very I mean we have $25 shipping rates right now that's unheard of in any industry right and people pay it wow $25 because I can't do less than that because we subsidized over two and a half million dollars in shipping last year Yeah. So did you raise shipping prices? Um, no, we launched with $25, and my focus group told me of our customers only 2% would buy it at $25, but I needed to at least get it out there to try yeah. shipping, and I thought I'd be able to bring it down as we grew, but we weren't able to negotiate better rates than that, and we were shipping far more to zone 7 and 8 than I anticipated. It didn't grow. The United States did not grow equitably. It grew faster at the coasts, of course, and so our subsidies kept going up and up, so I had to keep it at $25, and we're still growing at 50 to 70% with $25 shipping rates. Now, at some point to your point i agree with completely we we need to lower them which is why we're opening distribution centers but we've just been really fortunate that at, yeah. our, at our size we can still yeah do totally. that and
0: flowers are a different industry you know it's like yeah, highly perishable ecom fashion it's just they're you know this they're i think they're less
1: of a commodity i don't know it's like it's a gifting space instead of self it's, so it's a difference it is different people will spend more for other people than themselves on stuff like that i hope so yeah Running a business is enough of a challenge. Securing extra
0: cash flow doesn't have to be. Through BlueVine, getting a line of credit is fast, easy, and simple. And if you don't know what BlueVine is, it's an easy, fast way to help support your business growth with a line of credit of up to 250 thousand dollars. Whether you need money to offset upfront costs, secure inventory, or pay a surprise expense, Bluevine can help you and your business stay secure. There's no fee to set up your line of credit and Bluevine never charges maintenance or prepayment fees. So applying is easy. Just go online to getbluevine.com slash girlboss to fill out a few simple details and you're done with your application within minutes. Seeing an offer will not affect your credit score. Once approved, funds can be received in as fast as 24 hours. So for listeners of Girlboss Radio, Bluevine is offering a special limited time promotion of a $100 gift card when you take out a loan or open a line of credit with Bluevine. Go to getbluevine.com slash girlboss for more details. All you have to do is go to getbluevine.com slash girlboss and apply. That's quick, easy, and meaningful help to your business in as little as 24 hours. This promotional offer is subject to terms and conditions that can be found at getbluevine.com slash girlboss. So I wanna understand this trajectory. You started with okay. $50,000 in your savings account.
1: Yep. Which is not nothing. No, I <laughs> thought it was a ton back then. I was it like kind I was of, mean, it 000. kind of is to yeah. start,
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, for most of us to start a business. yeah. Um, how did you take that 50000 I mean, this is a long story and like a decade, it sounds like, but $30 million, that's no small feat. What were the inflection points? Or when did you know you were on something?
1: Yeah, it was around two years. And I gave myself a two year mark because I didn't want to be kind of like the 50 year old actress that's still out of work. Right. I didn't want to have like this business that like wasn't gaining traction. And I have some friends like this. And I just feel bad because I want to be like, pull the plug. You've been doing this like six years and you haven't had a million dollars yet. You know, things like that. Like, don't waste the best years of your life, you know. Um, so, you know, I gave myself two years or until I ran out of money, got really close, got down to four hundred eleven dollars a year and a half in. But then right around was able to build it back up and right around the two year mark, you know, people started to have heard of us. And, you know, that was no small feat considering that we had no marketing budget. So it was just coffee shops that I put out, you know, flowers at and things like that. And we were only in San Francisco. But how I was able to build it was really by adding geographic areas that we're delivering to so it was very intentional it wasn't like I was just providing service to San Francisco for all ten years five years in, we started doing some of the surrounding Bay Area you know places and because people had heard of us that made our marketing costs super low still uh, because people had already heard of us and wanted us to be able to provide service there but we weren't yet Um, we also were extremely lucky that we got into digital marketing at the right time so when people now are like, how did you acquire so many customers and have such a robust you know, social following, you know, we were doing, you know, in 2015, we were doing digital marketing when like Nordstrom and, you know, all the big, huge companies that are trying to get the 25 to 54 year old females weren't yet doing that. Um, so we were able to acquire customers for like a dollar and things like that. So that helped. Um, And then from Bay Area, we went to California shipping and then we went to national shipping. So every year, really, there was another geographic area after the first five years that we were providing service to, which helps because you already have the low hanging fruit that know of you there. Mm -hmm. So that helped us grow. Um, And then we just rely really heavily on word of mouth. We've never had the budget to do a ton of, like, technology to do referral programs or loyalty programs or anything like that. We just rely on people, like, the kindness of their hearts to tell all their friends about us. And that helps because we've never exceeded $10 in customer acquisition cost.
0: Wow. What's an average order ba- value?
1: Right now it's about $108. Wow. Um, it, it fluctuates by month between $98 and $108.
0: So you've been turned down by over 100 investors. This just doesn't make sense to me. Like, what was their feedback given your company? And this is like, and this is one of those things where it's like the experts say that you're not onto something, but then it's like, well, watch me. And also, how can you argue with this? I'm so. This is can be so confusing because investors can have such a narrow view of the world um, and what what's an investable business or what's a viable business. And clearly, yours is like. Alive and thriving in more ways than one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pun. Uh, Very punny. <laughs> yeah, I like puns. <laughs> uh, why? What? What was their feedback?
1: Yeah. So many things. It depend on what year. But um, the most recent time I ra- tried raise capital was last year. Um, and. The feedback now is uh, team-related. They don't think that we have a team. And we don't have a team that looks like Silicon Valley or what most of these direct-to-consumer companies look like. We don't have a C-suite. We have um, really hard-working team members that don't have extensive... They don't look great on paper. Um, but they look really great in our warehouse and they work their butts off. And so I find it hilarious because I'm like, if you don't believe in my team, then why are we growing at this speed? You know, I think that they've, they've proven themselves. And so that's the most recent feedback. Um, But to be honest, I mean, I think that there's really two reasons that we haven't raised capital. One, and these are kind of unspoken things, but it's my story in my head. And I'm After pitching 104 times, I think I know what it is. I think number one is I'm a solo female founder without a pedigree. And the only difference between us and a lot of the strikingly similar companies is that. It's the only thing. Um, So when you're comparing apples to apples, you can kind of suss out what the issue is. And then the other thing is, and this one is completely understandable to me. I, the flower space is not a great space for investors. I just have to be really honest, like it's perishable product. We're never going to have the margins that they're looking to see. And I won't lie on our spreadsheets to say like, we're going to have 40% margins at scale and all that. Cause there's no way that we're going to have 40% margins at scale. Um, it's just not possible in perishability. And You know, if I knew then what I know now, I would never do perishable again. (laughs) I tell everybody, like, don't do it. Selling
0: things that die from the time the order's placed. (laughs)
1: Absolutely. When American consumers want free shipping all the time, you know, like you can't do it when you have to ship overnight priority, you know. So it's just it's almost impossible. You can't. I mean, think about it like even with food, you have a longer shelf life. We have like three days if we overorder, We're in trouble. We have three days to sell it. We can't sell a sweater on markdown, you know, three months later, we mm-hmm. have to sell it right then or it goes into a compost bin. So, you know, it's really hard. And if I was an investor that was looking for like a 10X return in a very short amount of time, I wouldn't invest in me either. But what's been really interesting to me is how all of our male owned competitors have gotten funding and a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, I think, you know, I've been told all the things, even from like friends that are female investors in the community, they're just like, you know, go in there and don't know your numbers so much because they want to feel like play a game they want to feel like they're in charge like all kinds of stuff i've had people tell me to take my husband in with me oh my god yeah stuff like that and it's just like (gasps) no i'm not gonna play that game if i have to like change who i am and dumb myself down then i don't want that person as a partner anyway so Uh,
0: we just had morgan debon co-founder of blavity and she specifically chose two male co-founders because She didn't think she could pull it off by herself because of the same reasons that you just said, which is like as much as on Girlboss Radio, you know, we should be like, you know, we can do it. We can do anything, but things are easier sometimes when we have a male chaperone by our side.
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, maybe I can count on two hands the amount of female founders I know that don't have a male co-founder that i've gotten funding
0: so venture capital is one thing or investment whatever is just like a little one measure of success it's super sexy once that happens you're an Inc. magazine and all yeah. the f- lists and all the shit that like comes with it which is it's just doesn't like, make you mad sexy and glamorous yeah. it makes me mad but it's hard to be mad because like i'm i'm like the poster child of it and i like am partially responsible for that being like a like the you know such a millennial kind of trope of what success looks like, and it's just kind of not. And we're seeing some of my friends' businesses and other entrepreneurs' um, businesses, large and small, have raised too much money, have unrealistic growth expectations be too expensive to be acquired, right? Like Nasty Gal was worth $350 million when we were doing 30 million in revenue and that could sound awesome. You know, they plowed $50 million into the business and oh my God, my company's worth this much and I I owned 80% of a $350 million business. But in the end, that expectation, when an urban retailer of millennial fashion came out of the woodwork and offered over $400 million for the company, I was told to turn it down. So you're in a position where you can make choices and you're not up against unrealistic growth expectations and you can make decisions for your company the way you want to. So I kind of think you're in a better place. Uh, Sometimes no's lead us, often, usually, almost always, the no leads us to like, us figuring out why like, it was a yes for us or why it was right for us.
1: Yeah, I think. I feel that way half the time I would say (laughs) and I feel really fortunate that like I can make decisions like you know setting up a 401k with matching for my team even though that negatively impacts the bottom line or things like that that like I don't have to answer to to anyone Mm -hmm. I can just do what's right Um, and then the other half the time when I'm like looking at our bank accounts at three in the morning freaking out you know that it's a payroll week and we're trying to set up this distribution center and what am I going to do and how am I going to get this money and you know how am I going to like not run out of money it. Like a little tiny bit of growth capital sounds really good, you know, just to be able to sleep better at night. Um, so it's like a, I feel like a double-edged sword. And it's really hard when I would say until probably a year and a half ago, I fell into that um, really bad mindset of thinking that like success equaled traditional funding. Like you had to get it to get an ink magazine. And when I see all the like female CEOs that are like, these are the ones to watch and we're never in that roundup. And I'm like, but we're doing as much in revenue as they are. And, but it's just that we're not in crunch base and easy to pull up on who's raised the most money to get the, that, those lists from, you know. And so I, I find that it's really easy to get like this over glamorized perception of venture capital and private equity is really dangerous, I think. And um, it took me like seven or eight years to like figure it out that VCs are not the smartest people in the room. And that was like my girl boss moment, actually, Mm -hmm. was when I figured that out, I felt so much more empowered and just like, what am I doing? Like, you know, they're not smarter than I am. Most of them, you know, if I look at like their trajectory to get to where they are... It doesn't even include a comp- like starting a company or no, being at a company. They've like pushed this.
0: numbers around. Absolutely, and like, on we place bets on these things. We've never rolled them, run a business, or managed an executive team. Or exactly. Whatever. We understand money. <laughs> yeah.
1: but we're going to tell you what you need to do <laughs> yeah. to get there. But I'm like, how? You've never yeah. even been on the floor, you know? So, um, I I think that was the most empowering moment to me was when I figured it out. And I figured it out through lots of hard knocks.
0: I want to talk about your executive team just because I'm curious about what that looks like because it sounds like you've gotten some feedback and it's that you don't have the right executive team or some people don't think you do and you're staying up at night looking at payroll and running payroll and you have a $30 million business. Like Who's sitting around you to make sure that... Your meeting payroll that uh, you know if systems are being like integrated and infrastructure and supply chains and all the things that are supposed to move to here move to there like that's a lot right yeah Who's work who who are your closest kind of partners in the business
1: yeah so I I don't have as many people as we should have but it's kind of a chicken and egg thing so when people tell me you know you don't have the right executive team I'm like well, yeah, obviously, because in the Bay Area, especially, I'm going to need to pay those people hundreds of thousands of dollars each year, and we don't have that. So it's a chicken and egg thing. I'm not going to like hire those people before I have the means to be able to pay them appropriately. And honestly, those people are not the ones that would actually be happy with how we are set up right now. So they wouldn't even be a good fit because we're we run like a warehouse. I mean, like our we are offices are a construction trailer you know I mean those people are used in the Bay Area like ping pong tables and you know kombucha on tap you know which we literally drank out of a garden hose until a couple of years ago so like it, it wouldn't even be a good fit for them but I have amazing people on my team that we all just wear like 10 hats you know and so um I don't run payroll I have an amazing uh, people in culture and HR uh, leader who's wonderful I have Um, You know, I still do all the finance, though. So I'm basically the CFO. And like, you know, I have a great marketing person who started as, you know, making boxes, gift boxes on our team and then learned self-taught herself the marketing from me, you know. And so and I have a head of growth operations that also is like running the operations floor right now why we're hiring people for that and um so everybody you know i have a head of content um the person that interviewed you actually many years ago um she does content and pr and uh like base web you know basically names everything and does all the content on our website and all the collateral and things like that so you know everybody wears about 10 hats and we just make it work and um we're more reactionary than we'd like but you know it's very we I like to call it like we're more blue collar than white collar and it works cuz we're all getting this stuff done do your margins improve as the company grows absolutely yeah yeah
0: I mean, if you understand the finances, I God, I mean, if there's one thing I would recommend for anybody listening who wants to start a business, it's the least sexy thing. And it's the thing I still understand less than anything, which is like partially why some of my career has wound up the way it has is like understand the finances. And when you understand them in the beginning, when you have a small business and you're in charge of that, it's not just like we have some money, cool. But when you actually teach yourself how like what a profit and loss statement is or uh, whatever. <laughs> no,
1: it's true. Uh, like you have to know I your called? numbers. <laughs> yeah, your income statement, your balance sheet, like all of that. If you don't know where your money is going,
0: if you don't know where your money is going, you don't a business. It's the basis. It's <laughs> the <laughs> entire yeah. basis of a business. Absolutely, that's just what it is. Um,
1: I think we're actually only still in business because I do the finances. I was going to say that, not for any other reason mm-hmm. other than like
0: it's really hard, really hard, and delegating that is not so, <laughs> like. It's the big, it's putting so much trust into somebody else. Yeah. Um,
1: We'd run out of money in a heartbeat because I'm constantly with cash flow like, okay, we need to do this this month and then move this this month and all that to make cash flow work, especially while opening distribution centers and things.
0: What's the thing you like doing the least? Finance. (laughs) Smart girl. Yeah. Tell me about your culture.
1: Yeah, our culture is a living, breathing thing. And so sometimes it's really good and sometimes it's not. And right now I would say it's like in between if you'd asked me three months ago, I thought it was great. Um, but it's constantly it's like a roller coaster, right? And so especially with, you know, almost 200 team members in San Francisco manufacturing team members, it's not like, you know, professional level team members that just operate differently. And so so our average is about you know a little over $20 an hour, um, which is funny, because if you talk to our team, that is like, and even people in the public like to like criticize us, being like, you don't pay living wages in San Francisco. And I'm like, we would need to charge $300 per bouquet, which would put us out of business. Then we'd have no job. So, you know, we we pay what we can and we increase it as much as we can. And with benefit load, it's well over $35 with all the benefits in. So it, it's high. So our labor's high. Um, As we scale and open distribution centers in other areas that aren't as expensive as San Francisco, uh, like Miami is next and then, you know, I can't wait for the Midwest one, you know, Um, then that will come down. And also our shipping subsidies. Our number one uh, cost center right now that we need to minimize is our our shipping subsidies. So we subsidized over two and a half million dollars in shipping last year.
0: That means you guys get two and a half million dollars in free shipping.
1: Yeah. Two and a half million dollars to our bottom line directly since like, we open distribution centers. Like
0: if, if your customers paid for shipping, your company would have two and a half more million dollars to hire executives and grow.
1: It'd be amazing. But you've yeah. got
0: to compete. Yeah, got to compete. It's really hard. How do you make sure that as you expand, you're staying true to the company's DNA? Because you have to make really hard decisions. Like I'm sure it sounds like, you know, very kind of family vibe and a lot of- High performing
1: sports team. We never say family. Okay, we good. Say high performing sports. I know. Students. And I yeah. was like kind of like yeah. wiggling my shoulders totally. around when I said yeah. family vibe, yeah. like
0: air quotes family, because yeah. I've had, you know, Patty McCord uh, came on this, this podcast, who was the head of culture at Netflix and said, we don't do like babies, bridesmaids and weddings or what was it? Someone was like that. And she was like, and it's, we're not, we're not a family. We're a team. She's pretty hardcore, but I, I kind of, I used to think it was family, and then I was like, oh shit, this is like, boundaries are being crossed. Yeah. You can't fire your family. Blurred, no. Yeah.
1: So, actually, I got it from Netflix, so I did a lot of did research. Did you? Yeah, so Netflix culture yeah. deck's really good, and we made our own that I think is even better, <laughs> but um, based on Netflix, and yeah, we all, like, if anybody says family at Farmer, we're like, no, we're a high-performing sports team, you know, for that reason.
0: So you were down to... Just over $400 at one point, and a lot of people would throw in the towel, and you didn't. How did you know it was time to continue going?
1: Yeah, so I think the one thing that makes me different, because I'm not smarter than anyone. I'm not like, I don't have better pedigree, I have more experience, I don't have anything that is better or bigger or badder than anyone else out there. The one thing I have is like Will Smith. It was, Will Smith was my inspiration when I read this, that he said that (laughs) if he's on a treadmill with someone else, he will die on that treadmill and not give up before the other person does. Like I have more resilience and grit than anyone I know. Like I, I, we'll get down to $411 and be like okay time to double down i got to make this work and you know better don't no money for ramen now you know even so and it's even gotten worse as we've gotten bigger like people um always think that that $400 would be the hardest moment and i have to say like this year is by far the hardest year of my life and you know, it's because we need to open distribution centers in order to make this work financially. It's every bill is now like $100,000 instead of it being like $10,000. And so like there's every, you know, a new audit every like quarter. There's, you know, got all these California new taxes coming in. I mean, everything is hard. It's harder and harder and harder. And then you have 200 people that are relying on you for their paycheck now. And it's like, oh, my gosh, this is so hard. Um, and what I do, I'm just like, I'm not I'm not going to give up like I you know, we may not succeed. You know, I don't know that we'll succeed forever. And I hope we do. I'm not like that narcissist. be like, I'm amazing. And so we're never going to, to fail. But I know that I will die trying. And I think that that's the thing that sets us apart. And my team is like that, too. Like they will, I mean, they will work 20 hours a day if needed around holiday peak times. And, you know, I don't tell them, what time to come in, and when I come in at midnight, they're there since 9 p.m. sometimes. I mean, it's crazy. I'm just like, how did I get so lucky, number one, to have this team? And what I've realized is I've just found people like me that are Will Smiths on the treadmill.
0: Zoom didn't invent video conferencing, they just made it better. I'm on Zoom all day long with our team, with other teams, pretty much live on Zoom now. Zoom is how business gets done. Zoom ties together all of your communication needs in one easy app for video conferencing, phone calls, group chat, webinars, and your conference rooms. Turn any workspace into a modern, easy-to-use Zoom room, an enterprise-grade video conference room designed for instant collaboration with flawless video and audio, instant wireless content sharing, and a single tap of a button to start a meeting. And Zoom Phone works seamlessly from any device as your business phone system to make and receive phone calls, capture call recordings and easily elevate from phone call to video if the need arises. Zoom is used by millions to connect around the world. Why wait any longer? Visit Zoom online and set up your free account today and meet happy with Zoom. So loneliness, entrepreneurship is, can be really lonely. Um, how you cope with that? How's that changed over the years? Do you feel less lonely or more lonely now? What would your advice be for someone out there who's building a business and feels alone?
1: Yeah, I think it's a real thing, definitely. Uh, especially if you're a solo founder. So when I have friends that have co-founders, they have someone else that they can talk about everything with and I don't have that. And uh, I have found it to be lonely. I found, I guess that the best suggestion I would have and the thing that helped me the most is uh, two years ago I joined uh, YPO. Organization that have other, you know, founders and presidents of organizations and things like that, and. That's been really helpful because I have my group now that I can call if I'm just having like something horrible at work is going on and I can't talk about it with any of my team members because it's not HR appropriate. And so, um, you know, I can go grab a glass of wine with that. I also just have an unofficial network of like other female entrepreneurs. I have some down here in L.A. So when I'm down here, you know, we'll go grab wine and, you know, talk about all the things. I also do some workations with a couple of female entrepreneurs from down here, actually. Um, that has been really helpful. Yearly, we'll go and do a workcation uh, together. The hell, I'm writing that down. It's really amazing. So I do it with um, Ellen from Headline Bennett and Chelsea from Sugar Paper down here. And we've done it the last two years. What do you do on a
0: workation?
1: Um, we have different agendas depending on what's going on in our lives. But um, last year was a particularly hard year for a lot of us. So we were in this year's even worse. So I thought it was going to get better. But um, <laughs> we come with like our biggest challenges and we talk through those biggest challenges with each other. And we get really real with each other. Like there's tears, there's all kinds of things. But we're like, we'll tell each other, like, you know, you're being a jerk here or, you know, you're not being fair to your team by doing this or things like that will get really real with each other. And it's, we go to like a really nice Airbnb house on like the ocean or somewhere really nice. So it's, we feel like it's relaxing. And um, because one of the people that I go with is an amazing chef. She makes us amazing gourmet meals while we're there. And sometimes we get massages, but then we just work. We work from like you know, seven in the morning till midnight or one o'clock in the morning. We just work. and Like on laptops? Um, No, we'll put like the sticky notes all over the house. Okay. And we'll do topics and then we'll just dive into those topics. And then we'll do like what software in the last year have you guys, like things like that even that are just like updates, like what's working for you on like, pay. we outgrow our payroll, who are you, blah, 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 all that stuff. And so it's like tactile stuff like that all the way to like, hey my culture sucks right now and then we go through like why is it suck let's talk about it you know and then we'll say like you're being a jerk and then there'll be tears or you know things like that so um and you have to really trust these people because you're going to get in each other's business and you know what is what is your biggest mistake with culture been not paying enough attention to it and hiring the wrong people what is those two things well who's the right person I think in the past, we haven't spent enough time hiring. We've we've even had moments where we're just so understaffed that we'll hire anybody with a heartbeat. It's just Mm -hmm. like, come one, come all, you know? And um, that's definitely the wrong way to do it. It's better to just not have people and cut your growth down because that's what you have to do. I mean, in 2016, we had the worst culture we've ever had. And we went the year before, we went from like 4.4 million to uh, 10.2, I think, in sales. So it was just a big, huge growth year for us. And- uh, too many, like we had to move warehouses, all these things. And I put zero emphasis on culture and it showed, you know, nobody felt cared for. And so what we had to do the next year to fix it was slow down our growth intentionally so we could spend the time doing that. So it hurt, you know, it wasn't beneficial to not spend the time in the moment because then later on you're going to have to curb your growth to do that. I mentioned
0: this concept of success earlier, which we all talk about and all think, you know, some, some of us think it think it's a cover of Inc. Magazine. Some of us think it's Getting married and not working and not going to college, which is also fine. But each of us have our own concept of success. What does success mean to you right now?
1: It's funny because I used to always say the cover of Ink Magazine was my goal, my end goal. And now that I actually know what it takes to get on the cover of Ink Magazine and how those are chosen, all the stuff, like now that's not my goal. It'd be great to happen someday, but um, I think. Success to me is every day getting to wake up and do what I want. And so I get criticized a lot that, you know, there's stories that come out about how I only sleep four hours a night or blah, 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 all these things. And then people criticize. And I find it hilarious because I think success to anyone, like you just said, it's like if you want to get married and have 4.5 kids or whatever, like, and you do that, you're successful, you know, whatever you choose to do. And I choose I wanted to start a company and I made that choice and I put that goal out there and that's what I'm doing. So I'm successful because I'm doing what I want to do. And
0: then we have this thing called girl boss moments and you mentioned your girl boss moment earlier. What is your most recent girl boss moment?
1: My most recent girl boss moment was deciding not to pursue capital anymore because I was spending... 30 to 50% of my time on it. And if I have less than a 3% chance of it happening, I felt like that was a really unwise decision (laughs) of time. And it was really freeing, actually. I actually was in a pitch. It was my 101 no. (laughs) So there was a couple after it. But, um, and I started crying in the pitch. And I've never done that. And, you know, it wasn't because I was sad. I was mad. I was so mad. I was madder than I've probably ever been because I had to fly to another state for this pitch and I did it the day before I was filming a national commercial which I shouldn't have made that decision but that's when they wanted to meet with me and so I gave them all the power and I was sicker than a dog like I was on so much NyQuil that I lit. and, and the night before when I got in at 11 30 at night to the hotel room I looked at an email and they said that the room we were going to be in didn't have um, Projector, so that I needed to bring like printouts of everything. And so I had to find a Kinkos that opened at six in the morning. What before... kind of is I this? know, it was horrible. And so to go print, to spend $300 printing copies of these pitches and all the financials and everything, I'd already had three phone calls with them and I got to the meeting and within five minutes they told me it was a no. And I, without even cracking the pitch decks that I had just spent hours at Kinkos printing off... Sicker than a dog. So I mean, also, there was a lot of meds involved with this. like, and I didn't cry, cry, but I teared up. and I was so mad because I'm sitting there thinking, do you guys I mean like what they just put me through to come here? I have to go home. I have to try to get myself like presentable for a commercial shoot the next day. And I was just mad. and I was sitting there like, you guys didn't even have the decency to look at this pitch deck. Literally, it told me they weren't a good investment for us because I wanted to be too big. And they wanted more of a regional type company. And they thought that that was a better choice for me. They didn't even crack open the decks, though. And so to make me fly there to them, I was just mad. And I was, you know, I went back to the I got an earlier flight. I stopped the meeting then because it was supposed to be this long four hour thing, you know, and stopped the meeting, then went to the airport and I cried in the bathroom stall. And I decided in that moment that I was not doing this anymore. I'm like, I am spending You're going in by yourself to do these pitches? Yes. Because oh. I'm solo founder. So and I just felt so disrespected. Like my time wasn't valued. I'm running a thirty million dollar company last year, thirty beat our record even. I told them it was a thirty million, it was a thirty three million dollar company. And just gave them like time I should have been preparing for this commercial that was, you know, millions and millions of dollars of marketing put into this. And um I didn't put my emphasis I didn't I didn't value myself enough to say no and I'm worth more than this and you and also it was like confirmation that they weren't the smartest people in the room like they also just were jerks to make me fly there and I was just done I was like I'm done with this I'm done I'm not chasing this anymore you know I know I can get this to several hundred million dollars myself so that's what I'm gonna do you know and then I'm going to own almost 100% of my company my mm-hmm. team's going to own 10% Wait I'm going to own 90 as you can. and that's great you know it's going to be great that was my girl boss moment
0: cool Christina thank you so much for joining me on Girl Boss Radio today
1: thank you so much for having me
0: that's our show for today thank you so much for tuning into girl boss radio this week and thank you to christina for coming on the show i hope you found her advice and story as insightful and inspiring as i did and as always we love seeing your retweets reposts re instas everything if you tag me and tag at girl boss we may very well share and uh, please subscribe So, then you get notified when a new Crawlboss Radio episode drops every single week. All right, that's it from me. I'll talk to you next week.